This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, August 2nd. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Telluride dives into short-term rental regulations. Town hopes to keep excess lodging funds. Rubber duck racing. And a mountain weather forecast. In 2021, Telluride voters passed Ballot Measure 2D. The initiative doubled the fees on short-term rental business licenses and placed a two-year moratorium on issuing new licenses so the town could study the impact on short-term rentals in the community. This November, that two-year moratorium is up, and the first round of results on the short-term rental study are in. Economic Planning Systems, the consultants who conducted the study, presented their initial findings to Telluride Town Council this week. Here's Rachel Shinman, Vice President of EPS. Overall, the role of this study is to look at um, what role short-term rentals play in the economy and understand the potential impacts of short-term rentals on um, sort of the local year-round housing market. And then, again, just providing some information to consider in how to regulate or not short-term rentals. Um, our role here is to provide the data um, and provide the information to create some some data-driven decision-making. And so there's no prescribed outcome um, in our analysis. We're just looking to help um, you all and the community overall understand um, how to ground the conversation. Shinman notes, it's key to look at how short-term rentals interact with the long-term housing market. But she says there's really two issues at play. As a destination resort community, we need accommodations inventory um, because that's the driver of the economy. But also to have that vibrant economy be sustained, we need a local workforce. And so balancing those two priorities um, is is a key policy component. Um, and this, you know, for better or for worse, is a situation that... Um, can pretty much say 100% of mountain resort communities are facing. Um, So, you know, we're in good company. Getting down to the nitty gritty, Shinman says 78% of Telluride's bed base are short-term rentals, making up 80% of the town's lodging tax revenue. So a very, very significant portion of the local economy. Um, So, you know, what this tells us is that we need short-term rentals. We just have to understand where and how and how many potentially um, they best fit in. Carson Bryan, an associate with EPS, adds there's been a significant increase in taxable sales from short-term rentals in recent years. Well, from 2019 to 2022, there was a 72% increase in taxable lodging sales. um, And about 80% of that uh, comes from short-term rentals. Uh, So they make up uh, a pretty significant portion of the overall um, lodging tax base. And another note here, uh, thinking about the role of tourism. So um, according to an analysis from the State Demographer's Office uh, here in Colorado, um, tourism and second homes account for about 60% of jobs in the San Miguel County economy. Um, that's for the entire county. If you look at you know, specific areas, um, it, that, that percentage could very well um, be, be higher or lower. Um, but nonetheless, that highlights um, the, the, the substantial role Um, that the industry plays in supporting jobs. At the same time, those jobs in the region are not leading to accessible home ownership. In 2022, Brian notes, the average home cost was $2.9 million. In order to to afford a mortgage at that price, requires a household income of $650,000. 
um, which is which is quite high uh, and and significantly higher than uh, most jobs in the town um, realistically can pay. Um, and so another way to think about this is the median income for a three-person household in San Miguel County in 2023 um, was $90,000. Um, so um, that's that's a pretty big gap between what's on the market um, and the money you need um, and the money that most households make or earn in a year. Brian adds roughly half of Telluride's housing stock, between 45 and 47 percent, are second homes. According to EPS, short-term rentals make up roughly 75 percent of the total accommodations inventory in Telluride, with only about 12 percent of the inventory as hotel rooms. Looking to the future, Shinman says there's a number of policy options for approaching short-term rentals in Telluride. She notes there are three main buckets. The first is licensing, um, which we're familiar with in Telluride. Um, But there's lots of things that can be done within a licensing program. So at a most basic level, it can just be used to understand how many short-term rentals there are and where they are. Um, It can also be used to limit the number of units that um, are allowed within the town or within certain areas. And it can be used to differentiate the regulations on different types of units or um, types of owners. Um, There can be limits put on rental nights per year. Um, And then there can be other requirements such as a local contact person, um, nuisance enforcement, all sorts of other um, issues can be addressed through a licensing program. There can be regulations around zoning. Using different strategies for different zone areas of the town. Um, And it can also be used to um, preserve some or address some of the the neighborhood concerns. Um, And again, this can be combined with a license cap approach. Finally, regulatory fees and taxes. Currently, there's a baseline licensing fee and then the 2.5% tax But as we'll see, other communities are really expanding these tools, um, both to cover the increasing costs to the towns or cities to administer these programs, and also um, to address some of the local housing needs that arise from increased use of short-term rentals. And then also potentially using some of these funds um, in other local housing programs. Shinman shares a number of approaches from other communities around the state, noting a solution is going to look different in every community. There's no silver bullet here. There's no one-size-fits-all approach. Um, this is you know, part of why we're here, is to set the context of what the situation is in Telluride and then have these conversations to understand what are the key issues we're looking to address, what are the community priorities, and then which policy tools and strategies best fit them. Telluride Town Council plans to discuss its approach toward short-term rentals and potential policies surrounding them at each council meeting until the moratorium is up in November. Staff plans to bring back initial ideas on regulations to short-term rentals at Telluride's August 22nd Town Council meeting. When visitors come to Telluride, they pay a lodging tax to stay in local accommodations. Two years ago, Telluride voters opted for the town to keep that tax revenue rather than have it be distributed by the county. In the state of Colorado, changes to tax law come with a number of requirements meant to protect taxpayers. Speaking before town council on Tuesday, town attorney Kevin Geiger explains one of those requirements. Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights under the Colorado Constitution, require that you provide an estimate of what would be collected in the first full year that this new tax was collected 
in the town of Telluride. To make his estimate, the town looked at lodging numbers for San Miguel County, which indicated Telluride would collect around $800,000 from the tax. Then, just to be safe, they rounded up. We put in a million dollars for that estimate of the tax collection in the first full year, 2022. But last year turned out to be a banner year for local lodging, and town actually collected over $1.1 million from the lodging tax, putting them $100,000-plus over estimate. According to Tabor, Telluride cannot use that excess money unless the voters once again give their approval. Thus, Telluride must come up with another ballot question, asking voters to keep the extra funds. Then, Geiger continues, If the voters did not accept your authorization or their authorization to retain that amount, we would have to go through some sort of a refunding exercise. That doesn't necessarily mean tracking down everyone who booked a room in Telluride last year and giving them some money back. But town would have to reduce its lodging tax or provide some other amenity or reimbursement to the folks who paid the tax in the first place. Who were those taxpayers? Geiger explains. Clearly, this is not a scenario where you look at electors because they're not the tax base. The tax base is the visitors who came and paid into that 2% lodgers tax. And that's the only, just remember, the lodgers tax only applies to short-term rentals 29 days or less. Given that any form of refund would be directed towards visitors and not residents, town council hopes the question is a no-brainer for local voters and the excess cash can stay in town hands. Councilmember Adrian Christie suggests reinforcing the ballot language to help voters make the choice. If you didn't read our memo and you just read the ballot language, you have no sense of magnitude of how much we're talking about. And I feel like if people know it's $163,000 or $164,000, that helps the argument in and of itself. In a similar vein, Councilmember Dan Enright suggests adding a clause to clarify where the money might go. Those are projects, Enright says. Including but not limited to the provision of affordable housing and renovations for our wastewater treatment facility. Just highlighting maybe two to give concrete examples to what the money would be going to. With those adjustments, council approves the ballot question, so town voters can expect to have their say come November. Oh, rubber ducky, you're the one. You make bath time lots of fun. Rubber ducky, I'm awfully fond of you. This Friday, 800 rubber ducks will take the San Miguel River by storm. KOTO's Grace Richards spoke with Ashley Bowling, official commentator of the race, about the ins and outs of this feathered frenzy. This competition has a very rich history. Can you tell me about that, how long it's been going on? Some countries are known for sporting events. France is known for the Tour de France, bicycling. Um, I would say England is known for tennis and Wimbledon. The United States is known for the KOTO duck race. This year, the field of ducks will come from 93 different countries and uh, from 11 U.S. states. And they did some high-altitude training in Bolivia. What else does the training regimen encompass? It really varies. You know, some of the, um, the Asian ducks... 
uh, will train with rice noodles. And um, some of the European ducks um, will train with traditional uh, sugar beets and also with uh, lundefisk, uh, particularly the um, Scandinavian ducks. They go crazy for that. It's kind of a gelatinous cod. And it motivates them to um, swim and navigate as quickly and as adeptly as they're able to do. Sure, sure. And the American ducks? Well, you know, um, it used to be that the American ducks had a diet of cigarettes and Big Macs. But lately, they've been getting into uh, nutrition. There is a team nutritionist with Team USA for the ducks now. And so it's all macrobiotic, as a matter of fact. And doping has been a big issue. Why'd you have to bring that up? Look, this is a sanctioned international waterfowl racing association race. And the IFWFRA will not tolerate any performance enhancing drugs. I've said it. And there is a mandatory uh, blood test for each and every. Uh, competitive duck. Seven years ago, I believe, a duck was disqualified after coming in the top 20 because it had had eaten a poppy seed bagel from the butcher and the baker that morning and a minute amount of, um, of morphine was traced to the poppy seeds of that bagel from the butcher and the bakers. But the judges really won't tolerate any performance enhancing drugs, not even a poppy seed bagel. There has been some rough housing in this event, it's really competitive. You know, um, there's some locker room talk, uh, as you would anticipate with ducks, and there's some trash talking. There's a lot of bravado leading up to the race, but when it really boils down to it, it's the duck that can focus, handle the lactic acid building up in the feather muscles, handle that snowmelt cold water of the mighty San Miguel River. So some of these athletes have pre-race rituals that they do for good luck. Oh, they sure do. What do those look like? Well, I'm not really at liberty to talk about the individual regimen. Some ducks are sort of embarrassed uh, when it comes to their rituals. But I have heard that um, some of the ducks like to go to baked-in tyrine and have a um, duck saunt. Uh, before the race to stockpile on carbohydrates. I think each duck saunt's about uh, 1,240 calories. Mm-hmm. It's elite athletes do that before their competitions. But some ducks have been known to carry a talisman. Some will carry a, um, a meaningful coin on their person, on their duck. It could be um, some sort of uh, ankle bracelet that they wear. Some of the ducks are required to wear an ankle bracelet, but I I don't really want to get into that because I'm not one to judge about someone's record. Uh, They're very superstitious. So if they don't do that ritual or carry that talisman with them, um, it really affects their mental game. And you talked about the glacier water. What else do we know about this year's course conditions? I'd say a big factor is what I call the Labrador factor. Um, Dogs off a leash jumping in. They just can't resist seeing 500 plus rubber ducks going down the river. And what do post-race celebrations look like for the winners? Um, generally napping. Uh, the ducks are pretty tired when they, uh, they hit the fence. If you're not familiar with the course, it's really um, a grueling course. Starts at the pedestrian bridge at uh, Town Park, ending up with the uh, chicken wire. Can I say that? Chicken wire fence? I don't yeah, want to offend yeah. any of ducks. Yeah, um, that's politically correct. Okay. So. And the winning duck, uh, the first duck down to the fence, uh, the fastest duck overall, of course, will win its uh, team a nice prize. Uh, it's uh, $10 per duck. I mean, come on. I'm not a gambler, but I can't resist the urge to buy several 
Thank you so much, Ashley. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the uh, the duck race, as I do. I think this will be the 113th and a half running of the KOTO duck race. Our national sport. Wouldn't say it any other way. The KOTO Duck Race will kick off at noon on Friday, August 4th from the bridge in Town Park and finish at Carhenge. Waddle on down to see if your duck takes the top prize or tune in to KOTO Telluride. Rubber ducky, you're so fine And I'm lucky that you're mine Rubber ducky, I'd like a whole pond of Rubber ducky, I'm awfully fond of you What do reusable packaging, a pair of casual New Age pants, and a device which protects high-risk manufacturing workers from electric shock have in common? They're all products and programs under innovation by Telluride-based startups. While the Box Canyon might not be known for its startup culture, a handful of budding companies are nevertheless located here, and the Telluride Venture Network is holding an open house to showcase their offerings and highlight the vibrancy they add to the local economy. The event takes place Thursday, August 3rd at the Wilkinson Public Library. Running from 4 to 6 p.m., it features a showcase and panel discussion, followed by time for conversation and networking. The event, billed as the Telluride Hometown Day, is part of the Western Slope Startup Week, a Durango-based organization which is holding similar pop-up events across the state. Visit telluridelibrary.org to register. San Miguel County's Affordable Housing Fund is tapped. A number of purchases made in the last few years to support workforce housing in the region has drawn the fund down, and earlier this year the county discovered it had been using money, which it collected in error. The issue comes back to housing mitigation fees, which are charged to property owners pursuing a construction project. Mitigation fees are directed towards the Affordable Housing Fund, between 2021 and 2023, the county collected fees from owners in the Aldosoro Ranch neighborhood for new home projects. In April, Aldosoro owners notified the county those collections were in error. When the Aldosoro development was originally approved in 1991, a number of deed-restricted locals' lots were set aside within the neighborhood. As part of the development agreement with the county, those lots took care of any mitigation fees for posterity. The county was notified of the error this spring in a letter from the Aldosoro Ranch. County Commissioner Lance Waring says the county moved quickly to make things right. He says, quote, We feel we've arrived at a fair and equitable repayment plan, unquote. A form is available on the county website for any Aldosoro owners who are still due for a mitigation fee refund. State lawmakers want to change the state's constitution to allow adult victims of childhood sexual abuse to sue their abusers. They're in the early stages of crafting a ballot measure that would allow lawsuits in cases that fall outside of the statute of limitations. State Senator Jesse Danielson says Colorado needs to stand by victims, not abusers. We can give these survivors the right to hold these predators and the institutions that shielded their behavior, shielded that abuse, will give them the power to pursue their own justice and their own healing. 
Danielson and several other Democrats are working directly with survivors of childhood abuse and their advocates. Last month, the state Supreme Court struck down the Child Sexual Abuse Accountability Act. That state law took effect last year and opened a three-year window for victims to sue over abuse allegations dating back to 1960. Lawmakers want to get the new measure on the ballot by 2024. Tuesday was Colorado's birthday. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports the Colorado Day commemorations included a special event for new U.S. citizens. The state of Colorado is now 147 years old. Colorado Day kicked off with a special naturalization ceremony in the historic West Foyer of the state capitol. 35 people officially became U.S. citizens at the event. One of them, Fabian Guerrero, has been working towards this moment since he moved here from Ecuador 10 years ago. Me siento feliz, seguro, y también... I feel happy, secure, he says. When I want to leave the country, I can come back. It almost brings me to tears. Tengo ganas de llorar y... <laughs> Governor Jared Polis presided over the ceremony. Other Colorado Day events included tours of the governor's mansion and free admission to all History Colorado museums. There were also free musical performances at the State House and visits with the State Patrol's Capitol inspection dog, Ollie. I'm Lucas Brady Woods at the State Capitol. The Southern Ute Tribe recently wrapped up a Ute language summer education series that was open to the public. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis has this profile of Hanley Frost, the Southern Ute elder who led the workshop. I made some word lists for the kitchen and some uh, food items. At the Southern Ute Museum in Ignacio, Hanley Frost stands in a classroom in front of 15 students. The class is a mixture of tribal members and interested members of the public. Coffee cup. Coffee of watch. Coffee of watch. Hanley Frost is using phonetics to help students make some of the unfamiliar sounds in the Ute language. Coffee. 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 Spoon. Enough. Hanley Frost is the Elder Services Manager for the Southern Ute Tribe. He's been teaching and sharing his Ute knowledge for eight years. Well, I learned it. It's just a horch, which means cup. And he loves teaching students of any age. You can say chi-chi enough. There's two ways of saying it. And sitting with individuals and saying words and sharing laughter, because sometimes they make mistakes. That's all part of learning. It's a good feeling to do a small part of this. Big butter woman. I want to save the language. I like talking with people. I'm not shy. I talk to everybody. Sharing what I learn with the membership for the ones that came, it's a gift. Is that right? What's your name? Nunania Hilda Birch. My name is Hilda Birch. Hilda Birch, a Southern Ute elder, attended the class to brush up on her language skills. Just to get to feel and to hear the words again, because uh, it seems like the language has kind of dissolved, that the elders are gone. But now being an elder myself is trying to pick up the different dialects of the three different tribes. There are fewer and fewer elders who can pass the language on to younger generations. And historically, Ute people learned the language through conversation. 
Now, the tribes are developing apps, publishing updated dictionaries, and emphasizing phonetics so that new speakers have plenty of nonverbal resources that will help them learn. And this is just kind of a cumulative effort. Isabella Cloud works with the Southern Utes Cultural Education Department. She says in addition to this summer class, the tribe has many other resources that are being developed. So um, there should be about three coloring books coming out sometime soon and also a language app that will consist of some um, immersion lessons and as well as a dictionary. But for this summer course, Cloud was eager to bring back one of her favorite teachers. Hanley, he's a great teacher and he's always willing to work with us. I was raised by my grandparents and... They were fluent speakers, and that's all we were allowed to talk. When my grandfather was there, we we talked because he made it very clear that that's our first language, and that's when we're going to talk. In some cases, Hanley Frost is teaching people who have never heard a fluent speaker. Beyond the details of phonetics and definitions, he wants to share the magic of the language. It's a gift that the Creator gave to us so we could talk among each other, and it's the gift of praying to him in our own language, directly to him, so that way he he knows what we're talking about. Lord. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a chance of showers and thunderstorms early and a low near 45. Thursday brings sunny skies and a chance of thunder in the afternoon with a high in the upper 70s. Thursday night should be mostly clear with a low near 40 degrees. Friday calls for mostly sunny skies with a high near 80 degrees and a 10% chance of afternoon showers. Come Friday night, expect clear skies and a low near 40. This has been the news for Wednesday, August 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Please join the Town of Telluride, Servitas LLC, and the Wilkinson Public Library at an open house for the Canyon Lands and Tower House Affordable Housing Project. The meeting is scheduled for 5.30 p.m. on August 3rd at the Wilkinson Public Library. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.